This is Larry Zerner, Shelley from Friday 13th Part 3. You're on Nightmare Junkhead. Hey, genius, fuck you too. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that always dresses to the nines when attending a shunting my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're teasing up our hair and tight rolling our jeans as we delve into the mouth of march madness and travel back 30 years to talk the horror classics from our 1989 bracket but before we get into that let me remind you we're part of the boom howdy podcast network boom howdy you can find our past episodes at boomhowdy.com or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for nightmare junkhead in your itunes or soundcloud app hit subscribe and when we drop our latest episode it'll download directly to your listening device of choice all up in your aquanet hole and this is the time of the year where it is truly important to be following us on social media to follow along in the madness Mm -hmm. and if you're on twitter you can find us at nightmare junk and on facebook at nightmare junkhead yes and we are traveling 10 years from the the hairy, uh, hairy, scary, scary of yeah. nineteen seventy nine. Gooey, gooey, and then, or we're traveling backwards, potentially. Oh no, yeah. no, no! We are totally going forward here to the yep. year of nineteen eighty nine. And you say ooey gooey, yeah. man. We have some ooey gooey stuff in this year. It's. I, I thought the seventies was bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's strange enough as it is when we're looking at this. Really, uh, you know, eighty nine is going to transition us into the nineties, but we're also mm-hmm. that is the last time we're saying, you know, or looking back in terms of into the math of March Madness and anything from the seventies. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. It's so hard to. No, we need a seventies. Oh, you know what? And that's all right with me. Exactly. I'm glad we're on the same wavelength there. But honestly, here in 1989, we've talked about it. And if you go back to our last two into the mouth of March Madness tournaments, mm-hmm. the eighties have always been more difficult for us because that's yeah. It's the heyday of horror. Yeah, it is that good point. It's the heyday of horror because there's some hard choices on here. You know what I'm saying? And like, we go back to our selection episode, there yeah. was some hard choices there too. Because I guarantee you, someone's <laughs> not even, they're hate listening us right now. Going, right. Well, you forgot The Exorcist Part 3. And I'm, right. And I'm agreeing with you 110% right now. And I'll give love to Puppet Master. <laughs> So we still have that buyer's remorse right yeah, now or uh-huh. chooser's remorse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sometimes it's not fun to play God. Right. <laughs> Sophie's choices of horror. Well, and it's interesting with 1989, uh, we really get some of the a nice diverse selection though. Mm-hmm. We do have some masters of horror. Yes. We've got some cult classics. Again, some first time watches. And again, which is why. I think this is so much fun. Yes. We finally, you know what we should actually kind of, we could, if we never need to change from Into the Mouth of March Madness, it could ultimately be the I've Seen That Tournament. I was thinking the same thing. We're back at the I've Seen That Arena music by What's the Score soundtrack, you know? <laughs> because ultimately, so many times we're seeing a lot of these films for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Or in many cases, it's a long time rewatch. Uh, but into 1989, we're going to go ahead and go top to bottom here on the bracket and I'll say our first matchup here. Clash of the Titans. So much a Clash of the Titans. In fact, they actually met off at MGM's uh, in Las Vegas for a film that we might get to eventually. Eventually. But, but for now, let's get ready to rumble. And there's a lot of you out there that are like, finally, 
finally, finally, finally, mm-hmm. I get a freaking Jason Voorhees Friday the 13th film. Yep. Into the Mouth of March Madness. And our battle, our bracket here is, we just kept it simple. Freddy versus Jason. And we and what's really interesting here is this is not their first representation of Freddy, however. Right. Freddy has followed throughout the tournament. Oh, yeah. And you fact, can't have a tournament without a Freddy in it some way. Refer back to our Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 commentary track we did. Dream who, Warriors! And even uh, Part 4, the Dream Master, showed up last year. But no, this is indeed the first time that we have a Friday the 13th film. Mm-hmm. But we have Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. And what the a dream film, child. And what a Friday they were starting with. We're coming out of the gate with Friday the th- uh, 13th, part eight. Jason takes Manhattan. So you have a part five of a franchise <laughs> versus a part eight. So <laughs> they're well established in their careers. Very much so. But ultimately, you it's what's fun with that, though, is you kind of with part five of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the completion mm-hmm. of the dream trilogy. Yep. And with part eight. It's Especially a, with Friday the 13th. <laughs> it's a uh, new take on a new locale. It, and that's just what it is. It's kind of rinse, repeat, and a new, new mm-hmm. location. So where do we start with on our first matchup here? Oh, and I should say, ultimately, in the first round here of the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament, we do have two criteria that we stick to when it comes to seeing which film moves mm-hmm. on to the round of the Scream 16. And as we like to say, we try to keep it as academic as possible. Yep. Or as close to academic as we can, we are a podcast. We show our work. Yes, we do. We do show our work. So we have two criteria here that we're looking at, and we kind of keep two separate things. We ask which of the films we go to the uh, pathos and logos. So Mm -hmm. the pathos is we ask which of the two films are closer to your heart. Closer to the heart. You got to work on your falsetto, man. You got to get a, uh, let's hear Closer to the heart, yeah. Oh, nice. It's not quite Getty Lee level, but no, we do ask which of the films give us a more nostalgic feel or is closer to the heart. And then we try to do the flip side of that. We look more logically and we look at the bracket topic Mm -hmm. and we decide which of the two films fit the bracket topic description better. Right. But ultimately, we do show our work. And when you are sending in your brackets, uh, please tell us, you know, how are your films getting there? Craft the narrative that you can see with a film's journey throughout the tournament. We're showing our work, so at least show us yours. That's right. That, that hopefully, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> we that's, showed us ours. Yeah. Don't don't take it the way no, genius no. would take it. Take it the way <laughs> I would take that. Okay. Let's just stay there. No. So, which of the two films should we go ahead and engage with first here, genius? Let's do the Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> Part five, <laughs> The Dream Child. A very interesting rewatch, actually. And I had a chance, uh, we talked about it on the commentary, had a chance to uh, host the Never Sleep Again Marathon, mm-hmm. where we went one through the um, part, the new nightmare. And part five was, it was it's been a long time since I had seen that. It's been a minute since I've seen it, too. But how was it at the marathon? At the marathon, it played wonderfully. Mm-hmm. You know, just again with a really wonderfully engaged crowd and just kind of charting the journey of a franchise. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating in and of itself. But then watching it again for the tournament, especially in lieu of all the, you know, films that we kind of went through, mm-hmm. uh, kind of gave me a little bit of a newfound appreciation for it. Yeah. Especially, and I'll say this, there's something, there's nothing that we're going to say or add to that the wonderful documentaries that the Never Sleep Again documentary right. or the Crystal Lake Memories documentary that you can see on Shudder. Shudder shout out. Again, this entire tournament unofficially brought to <laughs> <Right>. us <laughs> by Shudder. 
there's nothing that, you know, in terms of insight, go and check that out. It mm-hmm. is incredible. And I won't lie, every time I watch one of the entries in the franchises, I will always go immediately and watch that entry in the documentary. Just to give it more context. Oh, absolutely. It's so much fun. The insight and the time that goes into that. And it's just people as... I know that we are, we adore that kind of material. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the stuff that I enjoy taking the time to just indulge and get lost in, basically. Yeah. But what what did it say about Freddy? Actually, at part five, it's it's the, apparently it was a very troubled production. Yeah. And when I say troubled, just very rushed and ambitious mm-hmm. for what they had. And let's face it, at this point, this is the first one that really didn't make a lot as much money as the previous film. It was it was becoming old hat. Freddy was a, <laughs> by then he was everywhere. Mm. You know, I mean. But this one was interesting because, like you said, I got a little bit more appreciation for it because I remember dismissing it before as like, uh, this one isn't the best one that I like, especially because we just watched Dream uh, Warriors. So coming back on this one, it's still not my favorite, Freddy, but like you said, I have a deeper appreciation. There was a lot, a lot of like heavier issues going on with this this isn't what isn't just like raw i'm gonna go slash as many people as i can and see i think that's where this is it's is interesting as where people were wanting freddie to kill as many people as he could but this was a more of an intimate four or five victims and what happened was people wanted him to go on a rampage at that time i think mm-hmm. you know just see where this wanting to keep up with the modern day slasher mm-hmm. and that same thing that happened in um i'm leaping all over tangent but same thing that happened in uh jason mm-hmm. you wanted to see just getting slash 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 so i think that this one that dealt with topics of like like always has dealt to, uh, going on with the day this was more of an intimate their own personal like message especially with the whole dream child aspect you know i thought this was an interesting conclusion to the trilogy like it's still not my favorite one but it was a good okay i see where you i see where you you went with this it would have been interesting if david cronenberg Mm -hmm. could have done the dream child Mm -hmm. regarding just the the, like you said there's some not necessarily heady things going on in the film but they do look into the whole idea of motherhood of abortion of a woman's some very heady things that you would not necessarily expect with a nightmare on elm street film Mm -hmm. i mean let's face it at that point like you said there's kind of an oversaturation of freddie it's like uh, he's more and he just became a joke. Yeah. But he, at the same time, he's still cool. I mean, it's still a Freddy movie and I'm still going to fucking watch it and I'm still going to dig this shit out of it. Well, and also I'll say this, the cast in and of itself. And that's one of the things that I think that kind of separates your normal, a good slasher from your substandard mm-hmm. one. But Kelly Jo Minter shows up in Dream Child. And my first thing was, hey, summer school worked. She graduated, made it through. And that was kind of a welcome uh, reprieve of someone that we love, you know, in, in terms of summer school. Yeah. And those characters. And I like the kills in this one. There's the, actually there's some, some there's, decent there's ones some, in here. There's some good ones. But the, the thing about it is, I think at the, I, I was expecting more from Freddy, mm-hmm. you know? But I really enjoyed the kills in this one. This is still a good story. You know, this is more story driven in a weird way. Well, it, it, like I said, it just goes more <clears throat> into the whole idea of motherhood, what it takes to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also tries to expand a little bit more on the mythology as well. Of Freddy. Where you get more into, again, how he was raised going up, the whole thing where the the uh, the, the, the spirit of the nun is coming back, yeah. guiding Alice through everything. 
And I like what they tried to do. You know, they tried to incorporate, but of course you're going to have to have the dream powers. Okay. of people bringing, cause that was established in dream master. And so where would you take the Amanda Kruger arc that was established and continued in part four? Right. So that was a good like way to try and bring it off. I think at sometimes they feel like they bit off more than they can chew, but at the same time, I, uh, like what it did well i'll even say this regarding at this point in part five of your franchise i think they went um a little bit more involved on how to bring him back uh-huh. going through the dreams of the child <laughs> at least not the dogs pissing and fire at people exactly you know? exactly there's some a little bit more th- more thought and care went into that um it made it again a little bit more insightful and you care a little bit more for these characters especially ones that have survived mm-hmm. through multiple you know films in the franchise yeah i kind of wanted it to be a bit more bombastic and fun but at the same time you, video game freddy wasn't bombastic and fun for you no i'm sorry that's, that's freddy's yeah that's, that's i should say comic but actually no uh super freddy in this book, one i i always had a beef with comic book freddy because comic book freddy reminded me of like boob freddy you know because he was all like buff and weird weird looking you know i mean <laughs> swole freddy isn't necessarily as scary as little you know <laughs> right lithy but i i there was i i like the kill where she was just getting fed boom 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 that and was mean this i think also really accentuated the whole freddy saying bitch thing yeah there were so many times even when it wasn't necessary that he inserted it scary terry it was, <laughs> as wonderfully done on rick and morty and that also just shows you how even to today the influence of freddy krueger is still remains yeah and why we're still again now talking about the film 30 years later mm-hmm. i like i said it's a good freddy movie it's not my favorite but i really dug it you know i i think i think they tried to handle too serious of a topic Either they they didn't walk that line between goofy and fun. While it's still a fun movie, and like I said, I still really dig the shit out of it. It's just a good one. Not my favorite, but I dig it. And it also ended with a rap. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't have a horror franchise without a rap. And we're truly transitioning Was into he doing the, uh, the Freddy? <laughs> you know, he totally could have. Yeah. He's got that longer, weird arm in this movie mm-hmm. as well when he's like, it's a boy. <laughs> yeah. He's over there popping and locking. It's a bar. That's yeah. It's baby Freddy's gnarly looking. Oh, I will give complete. The makeup is cool though. Fantastic, so good. Yeah, the special effects when it brought in was hella cool. Baby Freddy is frightening. Yeah, that's something. Again, I would have loved to have seen Cronenberg do this film. (laughs) Don't dream it. We'll we'll bring the brood back into here one way or the other or not. But uh, let's go ahead and then go from one titan to another. And this is. It's it's shocking that we're three, you know, tournaments in, and this is the first appearance of an icon, a genuine icon, mm-hmm. two icons, I should yeah. say, Jason Voorhees and the man that, you know, portrayed him. Kane Hodder. Indeed. Yeah. yeah but here we have Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. This, this, this movie gets a lot of hate, and it deserves some of the hate it gets, but I'll tell you what, it's a fun fucking Jason movie. I enjoy the shit out of it. And you have, <laughs> what did we say? Uh, not only do you have Kane Hodder being a badass Jason, being a great Jason right out the get, but he's fucking with people, right? It's almost like he saw a Fulci movie with that second kill on the boat. Mm-hmm. He's just slowly but Slowly sure. taunting and making it. He had some, and taunting the girl until then finally, sick, you know? 
the MPA out of it had to have had to have because yeah. it is nowhere near as bloody and gory as it could be. But I enjoy the fact that he's kind of almost like taking what you can get and what you like and beating the shit out of you with it like the guitar. But um, <laughs> the main villain to me is, what do we say? The 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 crusty dean that went to the Richard Lynch school of ghoulery. Because <laughs> like, he's a horrible, deplorable human being. The, the, the thing is, these kids are just set up because you want them to die. Well, they and, all... Anyone in this bracket pretty much went to fodder high. <laughs> right. You know, they're graduates of fodder high. You think you get away from it. No, you just you go right into Kane Hodder's fodder high. Yes. <laughs> but regardless of a celebratory cruise or not, you're you're just you're just, you know, meat for the grinder. Well, even if you're dressed up like slim, good body, you're going <laughs> to. Well, what I love is you do get definitely a crazy Ralph character. The uh, kind of the, um, the boat, the captain, like the, the, not the captain, the, the, the maritime Ralph. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maritime realm. It's got a death hurt at fifty boys away. <laughs> well, what's interesting with this film, and this is what you know, actually, part five. Did you see in the theater of uh, Nightmare, Nightmare Elm Street? Yes. Okay. Part eight of uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Did you see in the theater? Yes. What were those theatrical experiences like? I remember not much. I remember yeah. being like. Especially with both of them. At first, the first time I saw the Freddy movie, I dismissed it. I was like, man, that was weak, right? I was expecting more. And I walked out. But over time, I got to appreciate it a little bit more. Same thing happened with um, Friday the 13th. But I remember going, mm, that wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. But I remember like people like, man, I would hear people go, uh, could complain. To this day, you still hear that. Well, but and because I've always been a defender of it. I enjoy it for what it is. It's stupid. I want to see teens get killed in horrible ways, and that's what they do. Well, it's they set them they set themselves up for failure in the title by itself. Right. It's in the title, Jason Takes Manhattan, and he takes it in the basically the last 15 minutes, and it's not necessarily in Manhattan, it's basically in Canada. Yeah, it, and it's in like this the most abandoned part of New York ever. But what my main beef was, I wanted to see Rampage Jason. Why was he? I know he was going after the girl that got away, but that was stupid. Here's the thing. This whole movie, no matter if you like it or not, I really enjoyed this movie. So when I'm saying this stuff, it's coming from a place of like, not love, but like, right? I mean, I really do like but the whole movie is a stupid movie. I mean, first of all, you got the crusty Dean with his caterpillar eyebrows being a monster. And then also, can we talk about the appearance of Jason in this film? It looks weird. It he's, looks... He looks... But he's slimy. Yes. But when he's... Okay, here's the thing. When he has the mask on, he's genuinely scary. When he's on the boat, he's an imposing figure. Mm -hmm. But when he gets the mask off, the reveal was like, that's silly. Mm -hmm. That's silly. And then the whole like... The whole subplot of Jason being a kid—that's silly too. And that's what's interesting is there's kind of a kind of a through line with the both of these films. The DNA, I guess, if you could say, the shared DNA of not only are they dealing with two icons, but also they have kids mm -hmm. tied prominently in the narrative, mm -hmm. which is interesting. It, it's it's very eerily similar, but it's it didn't make sense, but. I just wanted to see Jason fuck up some teens, and I got it, you he know? Did. He did. And so, like, but there was just so many parts where it was it was an interesting balance, because for every good thing I have, to, I have a negative thing, but the, there was some very good kills. I really enjoyed the kills in Friday the 13th Part 8, 
about 50% of the time. <laughs> when there were good kills, they were great kills. But when they weren't, it was like, man. I'd give a shout out to the sauna one. <laughs> yeah, the sauna one. The sauna one with the hot rocks being put on him and just burning a hole right into him. That That's fucking sucks. Pretty brutal. That sucks. And I gotta give a shout out to the kimono into oh, the mirror. Oh, Lord have mercy. Just holy smokes. We. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone react to something like this viscerally quite. And I'm glad I... I should say probably not since the Poughkeepsie tapes, which I wasn't there. I have only heard of through lore, but, and it's a, it's a, it's a set piece I completely forgot about. And then to see and hear you react to it, it was, I had completely forgotten about it, but it's that scene set it up. Okay. So like she, so she just tried to seduce the ghoul, the ghoul teacher by dressing, like painting her body. Like she's fucking slim, good body. And like, Lord, Lord about the digestive system. If you're a younger listener, <laughs> put it in YouTube. It'll, yeah, it'll, it'll probably scar it'll you. It'll freak you out. Cause that dude was freaky as shit. So anyway, so she's Hovind's PSA. <laughs> right? Would you like to know more? So anyway, so she's over. Uh, so she's just washing off. Uh, Cause it's, Toweling off. Toweling off. After the gratuitous. After the shower. After the gratuitous shower, which they don't show anything yeah. in the shower. So it's so she gets off. And she's trying to close. She sees Jason. And she closes the door. So she tries to escape. But Jason comes and grabs through the door. Pulls her kimono. And then she tries to escape. I guess she slips and slides. But she slides out of her kimono in like one false swoop. And hits boom right into the mirror it was like bullseye it was so comical to me because at that moment i heard and i just lost it i lost it jason turns out to be a very big fan of benny hill right because he's because this he's happy jason did this because he's fucking laughing in this movie this is weird that's another thing there's some cool stuff in it but there's some stuff in this movie that fucking pissed me off you know like one jason laughed he laughed. And I initially thought there was maybe something wrong with our copy, but no, it is verified. There are certain points in this film that that chi-chi-ha is weird and off, and he laughs and responds. Because it's a chi-chi, it's a chi-chi-chi-ha-ha-ha, not a Exactly. That's the difference. And with the ha-ha-ha, it makes it sound like he's fucking laughing. And I think it goes back to the whole Buck Flower, Buck Flowers separate universes. I think with the Friday the 13th, it's the kiki ma ma versus the chi chi versus what you think is the reality. And the ha-ha-ha, because I could just picture like the dots on his mask being like a smiley face, you know? And it made the movie very fun for me, you know? And listen, we love both of these films, obviously, the reason we're talking them mm-hmm. about here on the bracket but unfortunately only one can make it forward to the next round so it's time to put these two titans together uh dare we say a thunderdome-esque battle mm-hmm. two titans enter only one titan leaves and we're going to ask the first question genius mcgee nightmare on elm street part five or friday the 13th part eight which one is closer to your heart I remember being disappointed at both of these movies, but I remember being more less disappointed at five because it's it was still a good story and I appreciate what they do. But here's the thing. I know when people give this shit and everybody says it's the one of the worst movies ever made and the toxic waste scene was hella fucking stupid. Oh, it's, it's... It was hella fucking stupid, but it was a great... 
it offered some great comeuppance when he took the guy, he took the ghoul, and he put him in that toxic waste oh, sludge yeah. with that Which dead fucking just, gnarly ass yep. rat. That oh, the was rat. the perfect comeuppance for me. That was an excellent, excellent kill. And we did talk about the appearance of a chud rat that would just be like the a Cronenberg combination of your worst fears. Mm-hmm. I've always been a, a, a fan of eight, and I have to vote for five. Because it's I, it's I was less disappointed, but I gotta give eight its credit. I gotta give no, eight its credit. Again, again, these are tough decisions yeah. that we have to make here. Mm-hmm. I'll say this: I enjoy both of these as well. They're obviously not my favorites of the franchise, but that being said, there is an element of Jason takes Manhattan when he confronts my true, uh, you know, younger terror from my days of the street toughs. Street toughs. <laughs> And there's something about that, just seeing that just warms my heart. So for that and that alone, um, I'm going to go with Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, this is going to be the harder one, just Mm -hmm. in regards to how we define and show our work here. But the bracket topic was a simple one. Freddy versus Jason. Yep. So genius, Freddy versus Jason, who do you think wins this particular battle based on on these two films. <laughs> this was a hard one. This was a hard one because here's the thing. I've always enjoyed eight. I've always enjoyed eight. I didn't enjoy five as much until I appreciated it older. It was one that kind of grew better with age for me as opposed to one that I always enjoyed. So that's where I'm having such a hard difficult with this one. Um, But that's the thing. If I watch eight again... I'm going to still enjoy it, but I'll probably like five more. And so upon like a mathematical equation, eventually I'm going to really like say, you know, five was five part five had a lot of very interesting, you know, be like, it's better than two. Not so. So I'm going to go with five. I like the again. I liked how you show your work with that one. And I'll actually say I do think for the fact that with this particular film with Freddie, again, they try to do something a little bit different, mm-hmm. adjusting with their audiences. Uh, and with Jason, unfortunately, it's pretty much more of the same. Yeah. Rinse, repeat, put him in a different location. And we don't even really get, get the in lo- the location. And he didn't go on the rampage like I you wanted everybody. Everybody wanted him to do. But again, like you mentioned, this is one that works well as a background party film. Mm hmm. Um, it's one that if it's on the TV, I'm not going to change from. But ultimately, though, I'm st- I'm still going to go with Freddy on this one. And so when it comes to Freddy versus Jason by a uh, vote of three to one here, uh, he is the man of your dreams for a reason. Mm-hmm. And my apologies to Jason Voorhees and all the people at uh, Camp Crystal Lake. But going <laughs> And Manhattan. And Manhattan. Our, <laughs> the, our apologies to the people in New York. But no, Freddy makes his way into the round of the Scream 16. So congratulations to you, Mike. <laughs> Uh, only if to uh, persist with that particular laugh and everything. Now, our next bracket uh, matchup here in topic is one that I'm really excited to talk about because there's this really weird kind of synergy that happens in Hollywood every now and again where maybe a, a general idea will kind of make its round and then multiple studios will start kind of churning out the same top the, mm-hmm. you know type of film. Obviously, with the slasher boom, you know, everyone had their own little thing. But when it came to like underground or underwater monsters, 
you know, occasionally you'd get some similar ones propping up at the same time. Yep. So, like, we have a category. It was like the, you're saying the time when we have, like, even in the 90s, it was Dante's Peak versus Volcano. And then, like, there was, like, Samuel Bronkowitz Presents, and there was, like, those old disaster movies all at the same time. Even then you had Jaws and then Orca. Oh, yeah. So, here we have two underwater creature features. We have Leviathan versus Deep Star 6. Which is just, and if we were even more creative and, you know, we added another sub, and actually I, I want to go wait till that till we get to the hierarchy of the creatures that we have in both films, but no, both of these are ultimate fun creature features, mm-hmm. a throwback movie, um, both featuring uh, creatures that dwell underneath the waters. So ultimately Genius McGee, number one, I know you would never find yourself in this environment. Fuck no. <laughs> Fuck no. I wouldn't even go in an underwater pool. Cool. You know what I'm saying? I do like those underwater things at the zoo where you can go in the tunnels and tubes, but I know that I'm like three steps away from being out, you know? But like in Jaws 3, fuck all that noise. In these two things, no, fuck all that. I'm not, even though, no, how many, you want to go in an underwater sub and live in the colony and help drill underwater? Fuck you. And this is going to be one of the few times to say I was actually kind of brave on the podcast, but I've been to Disney World mm-hmm. down in Florida, and they do indeed have a restaurant that is under a water in an aquarium and I saw many a shark and I and I was like I've seen Jaws 3 and I know mm-hmm. some yeah. damn sharks mother <laughs> I know how this ends and it really kind of I don't want to say it soured my eating experience but every time I'd see a shark I would side eye him I'm like oh is this gonna right. be when it happens if you order the lobster they just go in saying like that's it and just like attack <laughs> no you cannot have the raw tuna are you crazy <laughs> Uh, no, but ultimately, <laughs> this leads us to two very similar underwater monster films. So mm-hmm. which one do we tackle first, Leviathan or Deep Star Six? Let's go Deep Star Six. So now this is when you ultimately, if you put this out to horror fans, there are going to be favorites between the two. And they're mm-hmm. going to say, and especially with horror fans, some of them are going to say one is definitively better than the other one. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's probably safe to assume that most people would say Deep Star Six is not necessarily at the same level of Leviathan? I will agree with that. Okay, and I love how all of a sudden, yeah, we go, I will agree with that. We're trampling, again, we're, we're you know, treading lightly here. But no, ultimately, Deep Star Six is, it. I like actually, number one, that it's done, uh, directed by Sean Cunningham. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, Friday there, the 13th pedigree. There's some good jump scares in this movie. There's some good, like, fr- it's basically almost a Friday the 13th. You, there's definitely a slasheristic feel because a lot of first person a lot of who's this what's going on there and almost a mystery kind of in the kin of i mean you know you know it's an underwater monster but it still has that slasheristic feel to it and what is the reveal going to look like Mm -hmm. how do we go into the reveal Mm -hmm. because that's ultimately if anything that jaws taught us is you don't want to necessarily see all of the shark initially you do need to have you need to be fed right bits and pieces initially chum the waters yes very much so and with deep star six ultimately when what i really like about both of the films and i think when it comes time to battle i think it's going to come down to two things uh the style of the creature mm-hmm. and the style of the cast because mm-hmm. both of them yep. are very strong yep. so let's talk about the cast of deep star six because <sighs> greg evigan who is the lead in this <laughs> film now if you're a, in a very cute 80s or 90s kid um and you were into sitcoms he was part of the whole my two dads sitcom mm-hmm. which was paired with do you remember who was the other dad 
Um, I want to say Paul Reiser. It was Paul Reiser. Yeah. Which, if you look into weird alien creature features, his tie to... To aliens. Yeah. So. so there's a really weird, not necessarily six degrees of Kevin Bacon. But one went to space and one went to <laughs> underwater. underwater. They had to... They, there's only two dads, so they got to... They both, they're both two working dads. <laughs> Every other Wednesdays are harder with that one there. Uh, but this also has one of my all-time favorite character actors and who I all... He's one of those guys that elevates anything he's in. Uh, go back to Nerds and Nostalgia, our RoboCop commentary, uh, but Miguel Ferreira. Mm-hmm. Being insane and being a jackass and like being the total tool. This <laughs> I remember, I saw both these movies in the theater, but I remember going, I didn't even know who Miguel Ferreira is at that time, but, just, but I was like, that dude's an asshole and he's a scumbag and he's a fuck up. And I remember thinking that and then upon rewatching, I was like, yeah, that guy's an asshole and a Fuck up, you know. Ah, uh, how how young? What age were you at in 1989? Uh, I would have been about 11 or 12. That's so funny. I love the fact that when we look back at this, the films we saw in the theater, mm-hmm. sometimes with folks, sometimes without. Right. Again, having permissive parents was always a good thing. And malls. And malls. Yes. <laughs> and malls. But when we look back and we look to see some of the kids that are attending films, and again, we always just have to go. No, we saw. We so did the many same thing. Things. Yeah. He goes, dude. I don't know if we showed this. There's kids. I'm like, dude. He's about 12. We. We've seen horrendous shit. We watched Hellraiser. Come on, dude. It's <laughs> but rounding out the cast as well, we have uh, Nia Peebles, number yes. one, yes. who always a welcome and who I always loved in the North Shore mm-hmm. as a, a Nerds and Nostalgia favorite. But then also Matt McCoy, the replacement Mahoney in the Police Academy <laughs> right? series. It's, this was a really fun cast. It was a good cast. And, and- like... Yeah. Well, and you need to grow to care with your cast, especially in a film like this, because, again, if you're in any kind of a good monster movie, you're going to be disposed of one way or another. You know, we're going to whittle you down to two or three people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, now that now the other thing we were talking about is creature design. Well, before that, I remember we talked about oh. seeing in the theater. Yeah, oh, I yeah. remember seeing the poster for Deep Star Six and just the diving suit with the half chomped being half. chomped off. And I was thinking that movie sounds dope as shit because I was like excited for that. And it sure enough was a set piece. And when we get the kills, mm-hmm. there's some good kills in that one. Um, but the set piece one is a fantastic, like, oh, shit, a good tension builder. I dug it. And that's what you know, not aren't really thinking of when it comes to a monster movie is something with a little bit more suspense mm-hmm. and being that tense. But ultimately, if you look back to Friday the 13th, it's not necessarily a gore fest. It is built upon kind of a whodunit right. suspense kind of thriller. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense when you can apply that to there. Um, so Young Genius was definitely thrilled with the multiple competing underwater movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, again, the creature effects uh, done by Mark Showstrom who he's, if you dig practical effects, you've seen a lot of his work throughout. But ultimately, I, I dig the creature design in this one. I will say, in reference to Leviathan, it's... I was, yeah, it was a cool creature design. I was kind of expecting something more monstrous, but I dug the weird crab claw. Yep. Like, weird monster mollusk had the flap mouth and, like, and I think both of these films owe much to Rob Bottin and yeah. the thing. And that's and I that's not a slight to the film at all. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, if you can even have a, you know, any kind of uh, homage or anything to the thing, that's probably to your credit. Yeah. You're speaking to what you're trying to achieve in terms of the monstrosities and so forth. 
But there was also some even good kills that were not caused by the monster because one of my favorite kills in that movie, one of the ones is like, ooh, is when Miguel Frere eats it because he has a good comeuppance just whoosh, going like, pop. And those actually, I like the fact that that is brought up in both films as well. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the idea, the, the gnarly oh, pressures of oh, being under there oh. and then how you have to decompress. That always freaked me out. That always freaked me out. Just the whole like decompression and just having your head explode like, ah, pop, especially underwater. Because I'm thinking, because here's my thing. I hated Miguel Ferrer and I, because he was always the one fucking up and he's the one that caused all the shenanigans doing stupid shit. And he's goes off in the lifeboat, leaving all the others around. I was pissed off him at that, but at the same time, I understand, like, yes, get the it's fuck going, out of there. You yeah. said, hey, I'm leaving whether you like it or not, boom. But then when he goes up there, I'm thinking I would be doing the same thing, but then he doesn't check the pressure. Then I'm like, you fool, because then I remember thinking <laughs> I probably would not have checked the pressure either. So it was in like, the heat no. of the moment. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that being the highlight kill for me. Um, over the monster attack the poster so that was a really good kill that was a good rewatch for me no i agree it's it was it's this movie is a lot of fun Mm -hmm. as suspenseful as it is it has a good creature design it really gives you anything everything you would want from a underwater creature movie from 1989 right 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 indeed so that's going to transition us or evolve into our other underwater creature feature here from george p's cosmatos who Huge all yeah. over the podcast, yeah. uh-huh. um, horror genre related, but Leviathan mm-hmm. is one that it's a little bit more near and dear to my heart. Me too. If if this this is <laughs> Deep Star Six, I'm I got to give love to it, but to me this that was the always save, and this is the brand name. <laughs> so like because. They said that this is alien underwater. That was a, like what the like a five word of course, review, of course, and. It is. There's some good, good, good kills, some good effects in this, and the cast is phenomenal. Well, it's, 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 I mean, honestly, you know, you, if you have, and again, this is no knock against Greg Evigan. He's no. really, really good in Deep Star right, Six. Right, but he's no Peter Weller. Uh, he's no Peter Weller. You know what I'm saying? Peter Weller's Peter Weller. I mean, like, if you go on the street and say, hey, who's this dude, Peter Weller? Who's that dude? You know what I'm saying? I mean, Peter Weller and, and Daniel Stern uh, and Richard Crenna. Ernie Hudson. Yes. Meg Meg Foster. Meg Foster. Meg Foster, even though you only see her for two seconds like from behind the TV screen and getting punched, it's still it's still Meg fucking Foster. Hector Elizondo. Yes. You have a cavalcade of wonderful character actors that again it just it will elevate the it film. It elevates the film to being extremely suspenseful. And the creature design is ooey gooey. You know, they say it's the thing on uh, they say it's the alien underwater. I would even go with the thing underwater. Yeah. Actually, when I remember watching Prometheus and watch watch your Fuck watch your rage level, watch your, right? Watch your rage level. Watch your, we we got through <laughs> the shape of rage last year. It's gonna you know it's gonna manifest itself. Unfortunately, psychokinetics, psychoplasmics is always gonna is get you. Out, little goblins. It's not plasmatics. Now you're thinking Wendy <laughs> Williams doing the wonderful plasmatics. This wonderful psychoplasmatics. <laughs> This is the same thing with blood rage and everything in between. Always adding that little itty bitty thing there. But no, ultimately, I always thought this is basically Prometheus done right. Um, yeah, I, I really agree. do. Um, just regards to the progression of the nastiness and the Stan Winston designed creatures. But ultimately, this is one of my favorite things. The fact that 
hooping comes into play at the very end. The whole say, ah, motherfucker. Right. It made me think back to One Crazy Summer with Hoops <laughs> McKenzie, where at the very end, he's got to uh, put the little thing for the sail for the sailboat at the very beginning. The monster comes out in a Godzilla, Godzilla suit. <laughs> if you add Bobcat Goldthwait <laughs> to <Hey>. Leviathan. <laughs> Underwater mine. Instead of like a Frank Welker voice <laughs> creature, you could actually do Bobcat Goldthwait, but he has to do the 80s Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> yes. Because again, that is a shtick, ladies and gentlemen. If you, <laughs> and I, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't caution to watch some of his films. But man, you've got to be go in with a warning that some I like of them are Shakes tough. The clown. Oh, I'm even thinking fun. like God. Uh, oh, uh, God bless America. Yeah. Oh man, some Ooh, of those that are was, tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, back to Leviathan. Back to Leviathan. Back to Leviathan. Back to Leviathan. Um, no, there's some actual good suspenseful scenes in this one. This one builds up the fear. I mean, there's some, and when it comes out, it's like raw. And the design, the fact that your body is betraying you, the fact that it's coming from the inside and you can feel it. And yeah. the, even the slightest scratch, you're infected. And uh, it's and it's gross. It really is. Yeah. He's a gross monster. I mean, a monster underwater prehistoric mollusk mud flap thing is one thing. But this abomination of your former friends into this Cronenbergian gooey pustulant creature that's some scary, ugly shit. It's really funny the fact that Cronenberg didn't get through our first round, but yet his effect and his like influence <laughs> still lives, right? And is found in almost everything. It's incredible. No, um, ultimately, yeah, these are both so much fun. Uh, but ultimately, I do think there's kind of a hierarchy, like you said, of how people approach these films, even including James Cameron, The Abyss, mm-hmm. that also came out in 1989. So if you think about how we had this kind of underwater dirge yeah. of films all at once. 89 was kind of a banner year for that. Yep, for underwater monsters. But unfortunately, only two, or excuse me, only one can move forward here. So who's going to evolve into the round of the Scream 16? We're going to line these two up here. So Genius McGee, Leviathan, Deep Star 6, which one are closer to your heart? Um, like I said earlier, it's not a knock to Deep Star 6. And I bet there's some hardcore Deep Star 6 fans there. Man, this is bullshit. But at the same time, it's... If all if Leviathan is the name brand, Deep Star Six is like best choice. Now, but ain't nothing wrong. Best choice. I love some best choice. And sometimes you want value, but when you got that little extra bit of money, you can splurge on the name brand shit. You're gonna splurge on the name brand shit. So I'm gonna go with Leviathan. Man, you're showing your work. Although, and I will say that you could almost carry that argument into the, the next topic there. <laughs> no, for me, ultimately, it comes down to what if I have a choice, what I'm gonna show. You know, initially, and I think in the best of both worlds, you show both of them, mm-hmm. ideally. But if you're only going to incorporate one and then something else, I think if you choose between the two, you do go with Leviathan. To the point that I had it as a movie night in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah, Leviathan is... Whew. It's it was it was it was a good one. So I'm going to definitely say that one is close. That one, so that one definitely is close to my heart to the point that I did choose that as a movie night. So that in itself wins it over. But when it comes down to what is a better creature feature... Mm-hmm. And again, how do we define that? That's kind of up to us and showing our work. So genius, uh, how are you going to say which of the two is a better creature feature? Okay, so if we're going, I'm going to have to split this up in two random topics. If we're going with underwater creature feature, I would go with Leviathan. I'm going to go with Deep Star Six because it's a monster from underwater. Mm -hmm. He's born and bred, whereas Leviathan, it was kind of like created in a lab and subject. So it could have been set in space. It could be set in Wisconsin. It could be set anything. (laughs) 
So if it was underwater creature, I'd have to go Deep Star 6. But since it's creature feature, I'd have to go with Leviathan because that is an ugly fucking monster and what it does to you. The creature from Deep Star 6 will just eat you. This one fucking gooey society shunts you. So We'll get to that soon enough. Right, but still, I'm going to go with Leviathan. Yeah, and I, I really, I do hearken to your whole argument of if you do have the opportunity to see one of the two, you're going to go with the one that's going to give you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And like you, you listen, you can't go wrong with either. Right. But choosing between the two, I'm also going with Leviathan. Yeah. And not necessarily a surprise, but making its way into the round of the Scream 16 and evolving is uh, Cosmatos' Leviathan. Yep. Now, oh boy, this next round... <sighs> Is a very, very number one. I know both of them were first time watches for mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. but the topic bracket topic is cannibal consumption, <laughs> and the two films that we are putting together here almost you could call, almost quite literally put them, put together, them together. Yeah, we have uh, from 1989 two just stone cold cannibal classics. We have uh, Society going up against Parents. Ah, these are birth, both first time watches, and I. Thoroughly enjoyed both of these movies, and I can't wait to talk about them. So, since they were both first-time watches, which one genius shall we talk about first? Let's go society. Okay. Let's go society. I've seen the shunting before because it's not a it's not a nerd a ween without a shunting. So, society is truly one of those that you could say. I've seen that. I've seen that. Society has a reputation. Yeah. Amongst horror fans. And it's all due to the end of the movie. But you have to go through a quite a bit to ultimately get to the end of the movie. There's a journey. There's a journey. These are both these movies are not slow burn horror at all, but there's you definitely have to go through it to the big payoff. And I thoroughly enjoyed the ride in society. Well, society is uh, what I like about both of the films is that they are definitely looking they're ultimately social satires. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing you have to keep in mind. So you will have some people that may may argue that neither of these films are horror, which I would laugh them off the... Oh, scoff, 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 yeah, scoff, yeah. scoff, scoff, However, I can, I'll listen to the argument. Right. But ultimately with society, like I said, it has a reputation. This is one of those films that, like many people, you, you've you heard of the shunting. Mm-hmm. You've seen the shunting. You may not necessarily know of the terminology. <laughs> but I don't think you're prepared for the shunting. No, you are not. Uh, I had a chance. Uh, we t- I, I threw it out to... Uh, Joe, uh, Joe Lynch on the Movie Crypt Live podcast asked if he had a choice between the two, which would you choose? And he's like, you know what? I, I like what both. Well, actually, more he appreciated the buildup to what we get at the end of society, but was and we'll get to what he thought on parents. But you know what? Like we say all this at the show. And, I, and like I said during the movie, it's not a deal breaker. I mean, <laughs> like. Was- that was the one I thing mean, throughout. Every time you'd get a little bit more nasty, gnarly body twisting. Uh, like, and so, You know, I could work with that. I could work with that. So, like, yeah, no. That, and I remember those some of them were my exact words. In like, fact, that might sadly, <laughs> I have it in quotes, not a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some lines I won't cross, but the, up until then... Eh, you and, know, it's on the table. <laughs> it's on the table. <laughs> well, ultimately, I would say this. Based on the notoriety of the film, what was it for you in terms going into it for the first time? I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I knew it was weird because it's kind of like, you know, the end of the story, but let's see where the story takes you. But I was pleasantly surprised with it. I thought like it was it dealt with some good subjects. It dealt with the paranoia. It dealt with 
and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was it was weirdly fun. Well, and ultimately, I think the strength does, and the fun, and the mirthness, and mm-hmm. the shenanigans does come from the special effects. Yeah, all credit to Screaming Mad George, and ultimately, the effects oh. give it this surreal feel. Yeah, where you don't necessarily know if it what is reality. You start really questioning it, and then, but oh, when it gets gnarly, that's like. Oof. And it's so funny because it's one of those things. There is a buildup to it. In fact, Dustin, it was uh, our friend Dustin, it was his first time watching it um, to see people react to it because it's it's something you really can't forget. No, I, as they say, you never forget your first shunt. Shunt, you never forget. Oh, the smell of the hunt and the thrill of the shunt, and it's just like ah, oh, you know some ill shit, and then you get these naked old people, and they're just like. And it just gets slimy. But until then, you're like, oh, who do you trust and what's going on? The, the weird paranoia. And like, I'm like, ew, they're, is she trying to diddle somebody? That's weird. I be- in this, I'm going to give you total credit here, but I believe you called it. It's This is totally full house Lannister. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because it felt so weird. Like, they're diddling each other. And they want her, because... I would freak out, too, if, like, all of a sudden, like, listen to this, listen to this tape. And, like, mm-mm, Full House Lannister. That's what it was. Like, then <laughs> they pay their debts. Oh, ew, 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 ew. No, thank you. <laughs> we'll let them get slide by on that's that what one. I, that's what I do. I shunt and I know things. Oh, God. If we could have only had Brian Yunzna's uh, Game of Thrones, that could have definitely gone differently. But, no, the, I, I think this is a ultimately a more campy film. Mm-hmm. And more tongue in cheek. Yeah. And turning on in cheek. And, and in, in and around and all up. And, and don't dream it. Be it. Well, I love the fact that ultimately the the bad guy is disposed by literally pulling, pulling him. him inside out. Inside out. And like, oh. Like, oh, well, you know, the shut must go on. And it's just like, ooh. But ultimately, like I said, and it's also a film that <laughs> does have something. It's filthy. Oh, it's, it's great. It's, it's And this is one I think would play well with an audience, especially the buildup to the shunting. <laughs> yeah. But what I think plays better, though, is much like They Live is kind of the social satire, the idea of this class warfare of feeding of the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the elite re- feeding upon the lower class. Yep. Going all the way back even to something as go, uh, the social satire like Jonathan Swift. Not not that level. <laughs> but because let's face it, this is society. Right. But if you need to take away something from the film and go, you know what? It still plays well today. Yeah. There's a reason when we did our first um, Halloween marathon um, a couple of years ago, I ended the marathon with that film. Because I was like, wow, that's how you end a marathon. That's with how you. With a shunting. With a shunting. Yeah. Now, <laughs> from the shunting. And to go from the shunting to something a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. to another first time watch for you, we have something on the opposite end of mm-hmm. camp, but plays just as well is parents. It's still in the camp. It's it's still in camp, but it's on the different side of the camp. This movie. Wow. This movie really affected me, dude. This movie was is so fucking Weird. Directed by Bob Balaban. From the blah, blah, blahs, blah, blog. Um. <laughs> it's a movie that if you try, it's falls right wonderfully into the whole cannibal aesthetic. Uh, again, the consumption era. But it's a film that is more subtle with its scares than society. But here's the thing. Okay, society, it's your, not your 80s horror, but it's, it's definitely building suspense to the big reveal. But this one I equate to the witch 
if the if the witch was set in I Love Lucy, because it's a social it's a satire as in everything is so uber fifties, uber uber fifties. Uh, I'd like to uh, shout out to Andres Hasmanis, uh, the set director or the art director of the film, because it is pretty next level. <laughs> But it sets up dread from the get-go. You don't know what's happening or what's going on because you also have that irreliable narrator. And you don't and that kid is weird as shit. He's got some issues. The entire family is unsettling. Yes. From from Randy Quaid to Mary Beth Hurt, who both give scene stealing performances. Mm-hmm. And throughout the film, before Randy Quaid turned and perverted YouTube Santa, he was scary as shit in this movie. And you forget he'd show up in a lot of genre <clears throat> fair. He shows up as the sheriff in the Wraith, mm-hmm. and he wasn't. He's a really good. He's menacing as all get out oh, in this film. Man. I didn't know if he was a diddler or if he was a killer or what. But this movie and has there was a lot of. I'll tell you what. I I was almost questioning. This is one of those is this horror type things as I was watching it like kind of like the witch because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's super slow but it's not it's just so weird enough where it grabs your attention and you want to see where this goes and then horrific shit happens in this kid's dreams and his dream world and it's got a whole lot of dream logic in it but uh when the scenes like for example the refrigerators comes out with blood but what scene what really got me at the beginning was when he's running to his bed and then, and then it just a big old big old wave of blood. And I'm like, okay, this is horror. This is horror. This is a genuinely I feel scared right now. There's something unsettling about this, and I like it a lot. And I think it's one that I you could tell after this when we watched it, it was really you were affected by it. And it's that's that's the best part of this whole thing is that first time viewing going, man, how why did it take us so long? Why, you know, and this is one that I saw initially back on. It was a USA up all night screening Mm -hmm. Uh, and Vestron recently put this out on a Blu-ray, which is what I picked up for this. And I'm glad I did. Uh, It's it's great. But then it gets weird with the sausage squiddly diddly. The mealy diddly is what you called it. (laughs) This film is a it's a step away from being like a vegan propaganda. David Lynch film. Right. And that's what I like about it because this is a film I think that you we can show. We need more meat. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely a film you could show to your like your artsy friends uh-huh. that may not necessarily yeah. be into horror. But I don't think you could show a normie this one though. I think you can, or could you? Could I think you? I think if you say this is a very weird movie, but it deals with a lot of issues of uh, trauma and oh, what's straight kid, up. through a kid's mind, and so you can look at it as not drama horror because it's it's horror. It's a horror movie, but you can show normies if you say like. It's a drama with some horror elements, mm. but we know it's horror. We know it's horror. It's about cannibals, and that's the thing. The whole movie questions you're questioning what is really going yeah. on, and that's what I liked about it because it's never like you know, dog will hunt. You know, you're always wondering because if what is going on in the beginning, especially in the beginning, with just turning the lights on or changing the music, would be a Hallmark movie. But the fact that, like, don't worry, everything's okay. Things happen in the dark, but nothing happens bad, you know? If you say it like that as opposed to, you know what, sport? Things happen in the dark. You know, it's just just made it so ominous and creepy with Randy Quaid. It genuinely, like, this is unsettling and so weird. It's batshit, dude. It's nuttier than a, a shithouse squirrel. It's crazy. 
Well, I'm glad to see that it had such an effect on you. And, you know, both films, obviously. So that being said, let's go ahead and see which one goes to the next round. So that being all that love just been feasted upon both films. Mm. Genius McGee, which film society or parents is going to be closer to your heart? Hmm. Depending. Okay, here's the thing. They were both first time watches. Right, right. But I think what happened was because I knew of the shunting I kind of like wasn't spoiled, but I enjoyed the ride up to it. But it still freaked me out and still weird because I only saw that little part. There was so much more. But knowing nothing about parents except the um, poster, Mm -hmm. this one threw me for a loop. This one just like, wow. And like you said, I couldn't stop talking about it for about an an hour afterwards. So I got to go with uh, parents. That makes, makes total sense to me. This is a tough one, too, because I saw neither of these in the theater. In fact, with parents, it was one that took me quite a while to actually see. Uh, Society was one of those that I saw edited first and then was able to Mm -hmm. seek it out. So for me, it's a tough one for me with regards to which one has the most nostalgia. I will say, and this is something I, you know, we stress all the time is kind of the shared experience is getting a chance to see again both of these films with a meager audience, just my friends there. You know, I'd love again to see them both in the theater, but the reactions on both of them were nice in what were expected, but I guess that initial kind of response, I'm going to go with, I'm actually going to go with society on this one. Mm-hmm. Again, both were good, but it kind of the, the ride up to the build up to the shunting was great. I will say the overall dread felt in parents was great as well. Yeah. Now that being said with the bracket topic, we have cannibal consumption Again, you could take it quite literally. You could take it, you know, how do you interpret this one? But we've who is going to feast? Who is going to devour their way uh, with the bracket topic? Genius, let's start. Society or parents? See, none of these are deal breakers. Uh, yeah. None of these are deal breakers <laughs> because I'll tell you what. When the cannibals and parents made the food, the food, the end feast, okay? The, the beginning liver and onions shit, I was like, ew, that's gross. But the end feast and looked fucking delicious i was hungry after parents but i was also after society i was like i feel a little uh, anxious you know i was like uh, don't dream no i wouldn't know but none of them were deal breakers so here's so do i go with actual consumption of the flesh eating or consumption of the flesh i think for just the fact of the matter is that they are absorbed into the fold per se i'm gonna go with consumption wise society it's a very good argument i'm actually going to agree with you on that now that being said because we get really kind of the literal cannibalism Mm -hmm. in parents right which is in and of itself crazy scary but with society it gives you that more horror analogy um, it's next level cannibalism. You can add to it absolutely, and ultimately, when you end up with a shunting versus, you know, either feast, you're going to be gagging. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. you know, hopefully oh. one. I, I got to go with society. So that being said, seek out parents. Yes. It is well worth oh your time. Oh my goodness! If this was it, once again, like you said on the last one, if it was we recorded tomorrow, it might be different. Yeah, but I really thoroughly enjoyed parents. But so unfortunately, much. going back for seconds in the round of the scream. Sixteen is uh, the thrill of the shunt. <laughs> oh God, the taste <laughs> of the shunt. Society moves forward, which leads us to our last matchup here. And it's always nice when we have what we would call the masters of horror. Mm-hmm. When you have two undisputed titans in the world of horror going up against each other. Yep. 
And we obviously had that in the first round in 1979, even though it was a different title. But this particular round gives us two totally different films. Oh, yeah. Totally different. Oh, yeah. Uh, The Masters of Horror we are talking about are Stephen King and Wes Craven. We have Pet Cemetery going up against... Shaka! Shaka! (laughs) Now, ultimately, if you go back in the month of February, we're not going to go in depth and detail into Pet Cemetery. Right. I hate to be lazy, but please refer back to our talk with Heather Wixon. Mm -hmm. It's extensive. It's everything you want that that will be and we'll we'll show our work when it comes yeah. down to the bracket topic but mm-hmm. we're not going to waste any more time talking pet cemetery no. and bringing back that PTSD right but that's a good movie it's so bas- it's 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 still haunting and effective oh absolutely <laughs> but we're going to have a little fun in this little last matchup here and we are going to go with one of my favorite Wes Craven films, mm-hmm. although in polite horror company, I ne- couldn't necessarily put it above like Nightmare on Elm Street. Or, no, I'm not going to say it's better than Nightmare. I'm not even going to mean, but I'm going to say it's fucking great. Shocker <laughs> is fantastic. Shocker is a great movie. Shocker is one of my favorites of Wes because ultimately you can see him realizing at this point he's not necessarily maybe going to get um, all the... The uh, back, uh, the back accolades. No, I actually just regards to uh, the 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 income from Freddie. Oh no, he's not going to get any residuals. Thank you. The residuals. Good Lord, have mercies, <laughs> going all over the place on that one. No, so this is a lot of people said this was kind of like his chance to launch a new a Freddy. new franchise, a new a new. They wanted to create a new horror icon. And you know what? I think he fucking did it. Uh, Mitch Pileggi as Horace Pinker. He's scary as shit, dude. He's like criminal mind scary. Before he translates into the whole, you know, going, you know, uh, wavelengths, this and that, he is truly terrifying. Mm -hmm. His physical presence. Yeah. And listen. And he's a clown. He cracks wise. And honestly, in in Nightmare on Elm Street, go back to our uh, scoring with hypnosis episode where we asked... How do you do the Freddy? (laughs) Well, I think ultimately, if you were to translate, if like, you know, Horace Pinker blew up and you had like maybe a do the Pinker. (laughs) Do the Pinker. Yeah. We know how it would work because Mm -hmm. it's just a little slide. Just a little. It's a little slide. Slide. Slide, slide, slip in a slide. <laughs> and even with his limp and slide. But while you're throwing up, shotgun is going around. Like, he's still terrifying. He yeah, is he awful. Is. The uh, the massacre of the cops, just everything associated with him is horrible. Horace Pinker, basically, he's a home invader. He goes in your home and kills people. I mean, like, when we first meet him, he's already killed 30 people, like families. I, he'd fit right in with like the Night Stalkers and Cobra. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like his whole MO. And then now... I will say what's nice with Shocker is if you go back and you look at Sam Raimi and Wes Craven, they had this whole thing where you'd always find like their posters from their old films or clips from their old movies showing up in their movies. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street features Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Evil Evil Dead Dead has uh, Freddy's glove. uh, Hills Have Eye poster. Here in Shocker, I think Wes Craven kind of upped the ante. <laughs> He's like, okay, so we've had clips, we've had posters. What if I get your brother in my movie? Is that going to like work for you? Ted Raimi is that spice that adds everything, just a little bit more good horror He's, flavor. He's the spice that makes it nice. Yeah. He's, so you've got Ted Raimi in here. Now, Peter Berg's performance, it's a little weird, and I'm not the first to point this out, but his delivery throughout. Yeah, he's... 
He's the probably the weakest link in this movie. And I'm not trashing it because I actually enjoy it. Me but too. Just it's so slovenly and just <laughs> slowed down. I'll tell you what we're gonna do. He's <laughs> he's not quite Patrick Warburton. <laughs> Either or now, Mitch Pelegi, Horace Pinker. He carries that movie, and even when he's in other people. He still carries that movie. So you could throw this film into the whole body swapping category yep, or yep. subgenre, which a lot of people forget about. So I just, I like that fact of it. I like the fact that he, you don't have to be asleep or you don't have to, you, he can just come and get you whenever. He's like a all the time Freddy and he just wants to go out and kill everybody. He just wants to jump into people's houses and kill them. That's all he wants to do. And that's fucked up. And it's really funny. We've already talked killer kids in the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. And you can't qualify necessarily Shocker as a killer kid flick. But for just a second. There's a great kid. There's a great oh. killer. He, so, it happens, so if you haven't seen Shocker, you fucking need to. All right. So stop what you're doing and fucking go watch Shocker because it's great. But if you have if you've seen Shocker, you know what I'm talking about. He inhabits this little girl's body, and this little girl runs away with a limp, and she hops oh. on this bulldozer, and she's trying to kill the main guy, and she turns on the bulldozer and won't go, and she goes, "Come on, you fucker!" And then just in this little girl's voice, it just she goes off. She would be a great pairing with the girl from The Visitor. The Visitor, just caught cussing at little two cussing little girls. It's hilarious, hilarious. That and like vile grannies. Well, and not only does he swap bodies, but technically he can show up in your massaging chair as mm-hmm. well. Like Cherry, this movie. Okay, we're giving it a lot of love, but I'll tell you what, this movie's silly. This movie is super fucking silly. And so, even when talking about like Pet Cemetery, I said it's. It's because it's not scary. No. It's I mean, there's not any really raw. So, but it's so much fun and so good. Mitch Pelleggi is scary, but when he gets goofy and oh, he does it's... his magical powers, it gets goofy because he's got jokes. He's like an elevated Freddy, which I like, and so he's like, he's I because he Wes Craven saying like, you know, let's see where we can go with Freddy and where he got wrong. Let's make it kind of funny, mm-hmm. you know. But Mitch Pelleggi just kills it, and it's. Too bad he wanted to make a like trilogy. There was yeah. a planned trilogy of the of Shocker, and it's too bad it never came to fruition. You know, I don't know. And people like uh, I, I'm glad people are coming around to notice like well, Shocker. This was a really weird transition before Scream hit and reinvigorated everything in the '90s. But that like pre-Scream work that Craven did between this and like the people under the stairs, I think is really underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And again, Shocker is not redefining anything. No. But it's a lot of fun. It's a great movie. It's hilariously fun. It's so funny. I mean, it's it, and it's meant to be funny. By the time they are actually in the TV and yeah. they're going through and interacting with everything. I love a good, I love a good like TV switching channel montage like an Amazon Women in the Moon and Stay Tuned and then the cartoons <laughs> and stuff. And then they're going around fucking with john tesh just going for those of you who don't know john tesh is an asshole that plays the piano but before that <laughs> dun, 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 before that he was like on entertainment tonight which was the access hollywood of the day so oh, like goodness you'd watch that for all the cool movie trailers and cool movie announcements that's where you would get your that was the internet before was, the internet it was him and that harlot mary hart so i don't know she's a, wow why where uh, that was unnecessary i don't know she's probably a wonderful lady <laughs> Probably not listening to the podcast. So, I so fuck her. Oh, fuck hey, her. Uh, <laughs> Genius McGee's uh, comments. Not necessarily. Uh, I condone those. Uh, Nightmare Junket are great. I'm here. sorry, very, very hard fans out there. There are but, some, and you are treading on their good names. Well, 
I'm a John Tesh fan. So if we're coming down between John Tesh and Mary Hart, it's John Tesh all the way. We're not. We're coming down to Pet Cemetery and Shocker. Okay. So let us see who is going to make it into the round of the Scream 16. This is a tough one when it comes down to which one of these are closer to your heart. So, Genius, which one? Uh, Okay, so like I've said on previous episodes, and I I got to say this, Pet Cemetery had that. As much as I love Shocker, close to the heart, Pet Cemetery had that visceral reaction from me. The fact that, like, I need to prepare myself to watch Pet Cemetery again because it's still effective, it's still haunting, and it's still sad. I mean, basically, it's scary and sad, and Shocker is good and bad because they're both, it's mean. But, but for just having, if I have to prepare my own self for a movie, that's gonna beat something. That's gonna be something I'm ready for. So, pet cemetery on that one. I make a good argument there. I will say this: both of them hold kind of a near and dear place for my heart. I did not see either in this, uh, the theater. However, Shocker was one that throughout like USA up all night and then regular video rental with a buddy of mine on Friday. Uh, many a Friday night, I watched that film quite a bit. So that's one that just brings back that kind of Friday night video rental feeling. And you cannot, that to me is pure nostalgia. That is so closer to the heart. So I'm going to say shocker on that one. Now, when it comes down to masters of horror, and again, how do we interpret this? Stephen King versus Wes Craven. Mm -hmm. Again, how much influence does Stephen King have within the Pet Cemetery movie? Right. Beyond, obviously, the fact that it is his book versus what Wes Craven brought to shocker. So how are we going to battle these out here, uh, their genius? Okay, so for me, I'm thinking... If we're talking about Stephen King, he wrote the screenplay for it. It's based on his book, and he shows up in there. And it's a very, very great, scary, wonderful movie. But it's to me, it's not his best. You know, while I love Pet Cemetery and I'll watch it all the time, I think this Craven, this is a period, because he's definitely a master of horror, where he was... Finding his own style, and it's an underappreciated gem. I think the more people will see it, the more they will appreciate what he was trying to go for. In fact, that he was, he liked making a, a good, like, fun, goofy horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think that was why I might have to go with Shocker, because that is him with his mission statement versus one of King's work, which is. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Well, and also the fact that here in the month of April, we're going to get the remake of it mm-hmm. brought to us by the directors of Starry Eyes, which we did back in our very first episode of yeah. the podcast. So it still has lasting power. That's true. But, but ultimately, though, when it comes to Masters of Horror, I do agree that... It is kind of the weakest of the Stephen King adaptation. Not the weakest. Mary no, 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 directs no, no, the no, hell no, no. out of it. it. It's not It's not my favorite, and it's definitely not the worst. If I'm going to seek out one, whether it's one-on-one or in a group, I'm, I unabashedly love Shocker. It's been part of my uh, movie night, my horror movie marathons here at home. Um, so based on that, and if I'm going to say a master of horror, I, you know, I love Wes Craven. So I'm definitely going to say shocker on that. And yeah. oh my goodness. I think if you were asking me right now, if you asked me right now, what movie would you want to see? Do you, would you want to see Pet Cemetery or shocker? I'm going to go shocker. Shocker. Right. So, oh, oh, does that mean? Oh yes. Making his way into the round of the scream 16. Oh, holy shit. Hey, hey, what the fuck? Right. Sometimes dead is not better. 
almost made it all the way through. <laughs> Again, go back, go back to the Pet Cemetery oh, episode no. with Miss Heather Wixon. Uh, but no, making his way into the round of the Scream Sixteen, Hell we yeah, do have Horace Shocker. Pinker. Fucking damn. So here on Friday, our next matchups in the round of the Scream 16, we have a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child, going up against Leviathan. Ooh. Very interesting. Weird, weird Ooh. 80s films. Ooh. And then we have a Battle of the S's as we have Society going up against Shocker. Wow. Well, I'm sure they kind of... Ooh, what if they kind of melded into... The two Cronen get Cronenberged up the Society Shocker. Well, you know, you 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 have yeah, that's be an interesting matchup. So tune in on Friday to see who moves on into the <laughs> round of the Hateful Eight and then into the Frightful Four. Uh, we do have Dustin Pryor from the Media Rewind podcast and Justin Beam lined up for the hate the round of the Hateful Eight. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McDavid, and we'll see you in your dreams. <laughs>